Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective Podcast, hosted by Heavy on Sports. I'm filling in for Maddie at the moment, but y'all know me. My name is Adam Taylor. I'm joined by Sean Devaney, our resident Celtics insider. What's popping, Sean? Hi, Adam. Quite a week. Joined... Quite a week. <laughs> it's been uh, it's, it's been hellish, hellish, but we'll get into it. We've got lots to discuss. I'm also joined by Jack Simone, host of the Simone NBA show, also on Heavy. He's filling in to help us round out this three-person rotation. Jack, man, what's popping? Uh, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'd, I'd say I'm glad to be here, but it's not exactly on the, the best of circumstances that I'm filling in at the moment. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's not great. It's not great. I think the best thing to do at the moment is let's just run down what the show sheet's kind of going to look like for us today. Obviously, the top of the docket, most important thing we need to hit on is everything surrounding Ime Udoka. So if anybody has lived under a rock for the last 24 hours, there was a report that broke that Ime Udoka was up for suspension by the team. And that was pretty much all that got released at the beginning through what from Woj, from ESPN. And then other like slight reporting released, uh, there was an inappropriate consensual, that's a very important word to add in there, relationship with a member of the organization, which broke organizational kind of code of conduct. And now we're looking at what could be a lengthy suspension. So we're going to dive into that. With that, goes hand in hand on the next part of the show. What we're going to be looking at is how that impacts the Celtics if they don't have Udoka for six months, 12 months, if he resigns, whatever it may be that comes from all of this like issues and whole scenario that's unfolding. Where do they go from there, right? Is there a coach that's going to step up from the assistant ranks? Is there somebody they're going to be looking to bring in? There's a bunch of ways they can go, and we need to explore that. And then finally... Robert Williams is going undergoing arthroscopic knee surgery. That's a hard, hard word to say. It's hard <laughs> to read, but it's hard to pronounce too. He's going to be out until early November, but I also have some thoughts there. I'm sure Sean has some information. And Jack's always a man of wisdom, so we're going to get into that too. So that's how the show's going to look. First of all, before we do anything, I just want to check everybody's pulses. How do we feel right now after a day that has literally been the curveball of all curveballs for an off-season day? I'll start with Sean. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny because you go back to the Robert Williams injury, uh, and that almost seemed like a more innocent time, you know, where how are they going to deal with this? How, you know, what's going to happen with this? How, you know, how are they going to replace him? Are they going to get a big name or or, or, or stick with the plan of, of bringing in young guys and, and trying to develop somebody? Um, you know, that, that, that was, was, uh, uh, sort of a basketball topic that we could all wrap our minds around. Uh, now what's going on is something much beyond that. You have no idea how this is going to affect, uh, the team. You have no idea how the team is going to respond to that. You've seen situations, not necessarily like this, obviously, but situations in the past where teams rally together, where, where there is sort of a bunker mentality. You've also seen situations where teams completely collapse under the pressure of something like this. So, uh, you know, which way this team is going to go now, uh, That's that, that to me is the big question. And Jack, where are you at, man? Where's your pulse coming in at here? Oh, man, all over the place. I mean, last night I was sitting at my desk eating Chinese food and my brother texted me, hey, Woj bomb, oh, my God. And I'm th- they're like, oh, is there a trade? Maybe Russell Westbrook got moved. And I look at my phone and I was just like, oh, that's ah, – oh, no. And then <laughs> since then it's just been trying to wrap my mind around it. Like Sean said, it's not exactly like a fully basketball topic. So it's going into this whole other realm of how will this impact the team from a personal sense rather than just on the court. So it's like – it's it's unfortunate. That's that's the word I've been running over and over my head. It's just unfortunate the circumstances the Celtics are in right now. 
I woke up at 7 a.m. UK time, 2 a.m. Boston time. I've got a ritual. I like to wake up, make a coffee, then I'll check my phone. That gives me a chance to say good morning to the wife, gives me a chance to say good morning to the kid, and then I can start going into work mode. I wish I didn't check my phone. Because from 7 a.m. and now we're at 8 p.m. recording, 8 p.m. on Thursday, September 22nd, 8 p.m. English time, I haven't stopped talking about Ime Udoka. It's literally been, he has been my topic of the day. And like you say, I think I went from a, well, this seems to be quite a strict approach from Boston. And then as the day has gone on and I've had more time to wake up, drink more coffee, process what's going on, it's very much a, well, we don't know the full situation. So who are we to judge based on the inf- the little information we've got? And the reporting has been really vague, right? So I think that's a very important factor. We does we we know less now than what we would expect to know now. Like you know, I think coming into the day, we expected like a full story, a dossier from ESPN or the Athletic, or but it's all been kept under wraps. It, we barely know any more than we did once the news broke. And I think that's part of the problem for the fan base. Like from a fan perspective, you see everybody kind of pointing the fingers at the Celtics right now, saying they're overreacting. And that's just bad PR because in retrospect, this being leaked was what caused this whole whirlwind, right? And so from a from a Celtic standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, and Sean, I'm looking at you because you've been around organizations for so long. What must they be like? How are they going to be trying to firefight this internally? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing is that is that first you've got to look at, okay, how did this get out? You know, this was this is something, um, you know, that look transactions and all the stuff that leaks out of organizations. A lot of that's coordinated. A lot of that is is it's, it's kind of known how it's going to leak, who it's going to leak to and where it came from. Uh, but, you know, this is something much different. This is obviously uh, personal, uh, involves most likely multiple people uh, within the organization, as we've heard. Uh, and, and you know, that's that's something that, uh, you know, you've got to have all your ducks in a row before you go out uh, and, uh, and, and and say what's happened and say what you're going to do about it. Um, and, and don't forget, at the ba- as the backdrop, we've got all the Robert Sarver stuff, you know, that, that that's sort of in the background of this. Um, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, his inappropriate jokes and inappropriate language and uh, racist language and sexist language, uh, the stuff that, 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 that he did that wound up getting him a suspension. Um, you know, that's sort of in the backdrop of this, that, that the league has been dealing with that uh, on, a, on a sort of a macro level. And now you've got this situation, which is obviously different. But at the same time, I think one does affect the other, uh, at least in terms of uh, PR and perception and, and, and how the team wants to deal with this. And that's a really important kind of note, right? Like when you're looking at this from the punishment standpoint, this is 100% organizational. The league is imposing no like punishment because this is an organizational code of conduct that you've broken. You haven't impacted anything kind of league scale. You've done, it's all in-house. So that the way the PR kind of looks is going to be really important because this is solely a decision based on what the front office is going to be making and their disciplinary procedures that they have in place. And I think that's a really important part of what leads us on to what I want from Jack is how the fans are viewing this because they understand this is a team-implemented punishment. This is a team-implemented rule book. And a lot of people that I'm seeing at the moment when I'm going through social media and I've spent most of the day on there is there's a lot of resentment towards the Celtics for even having this sort of rule in place. Where And I understand... like. 
as adults, we understand the reasoning why you have these type of rules, especially when you look at some of the speculation that's been thrown out there. But what have you been seeing? And like as a long-time fan of the team as well, how are you feeling about everything that's going on from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, like you said, people saying the Celtics, oh, they shouldn't be suspending him for this long. I mean, they're both adults. Obviously, it was uh, morally wrong. But from the perspective of a team, like what did he do wrong? Like a, a year-long suspension seems too, too much. And like Sean mentioned, they're comparing it to the Robert Sarver situation because it's just the timeliness of the situation. But uh, on that note, my opinion is, I don't think the the fact that the Sarver suspension before he told said he was selling the team and the Yudoka suspension should reflect on the Celtics. I think that should reflect on the NBA. First of all, I, I don't think Sarver uh, got punished nearly enough originally by the NBA. So I, I don't think that it should be, oh, the Celtics should have suspended Yudoka for less time or even in theory because we don't know actual details yet. I think it should have been, oh, the NBA should have suspended Sarver for longer. But regardless of that, um, <clears throat> the perception right now is the that Udoka is being treated unfairly. But the reality of the situation is we don't know all the details. When Ro, uh, Woj originally reported it, uh, he didn't even have all the details. It took, what, almost three hours for Shams to come out with a new tweet saying, um, <clears throat> you know, there was a consensual relationship between Udoka and a female member of the Celtics organization. Um, reports since then, like Sean mentioned, speculating that there could be uh, multiple people involved. Um, but my thing is if the Celtics are willing to consider a year long suspension at the very least, or at worst case, you hear speculation that they're trying to, you know, hint that he should be resigning. Th there has to be more to the story than that, right? At the very least. And we may never know the full details, but fans reacting, uh, and saying that Udoka doesn't deserve a first, you know, uh, entire year suspension, I should say, um, is based off the details we know. And I, I have to imagine there's more than that to the story. And that leads us into it, right? Like this one-year suspension that Udoka's staring down the barrel of, according to the latest Woj report, that's the same length suspension that Sarva got for something far more egregious that we know of. So, but, but but don't forget that if you go to the Minnesota Timberwolves situation last year with Gerson Rosas, that that you know he was fired. Uh, you know, he yeah. was fired for a pretty similar, uh, you know, and, and, and there were other things, obviously performance wasn't, wasn't great there in Minnesota either, even though he was still relatively new. Uh, and I think the, the other thing that was different was uh, his uh, affair, his, his uh, uh, extramarital uh, uh, canoodling, however you want to call it, uh, was, was very public. You know, it was, it was like people saw it and, and, and that was something that really, um, you know, fed into that, but he got fired. You know, I mean, so, um, you know, a one year suspension, uh, you can compare it to Sarver. But I think that 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 the situation in Minnesota is probably a better uh, a better comparison. Uh, like I said, Rosas got he, he got fired from that situation. But when you look at the way the way is kind of shaking out for Udoka, doesn't his position become untenable anyway? Isn't this a firing without firing situation right now? You're putting him in a position where. His entire ethos for, around the Celtics has been built on accountability and professionalism, you know, and being like, and now all of a sudden you haven't been professional and you didn't hold yourself accountable for your actions. This is obviously a little bit of speculation because we don't know what's going on. But now if you're suspended for a year and you come back and you try to continue implementing this culture, this ethos into your team, you're not going to be able to carry the same authority that you did last season. 
And is it Udoka going to be willing to sit on the sidelines for a year, kind of taking his lumps that way? It does feel like that one-year suspension, and we saw, um, I think it was Chris Mannix tweeted this out, that Udoka has considered the possibility of resigning. And I think that, you know, this could be a way of firing Udoka without firing him, which I'm not sure why or why you would do that. But it definitely feels like that's a potential outcome here. Yeah, and I agree, and and that I, I think that really the the, the Sarver situation was similar. You know that that the one year suspension was essentially for it to sink in with him that you know you can't go back and become the and be the owner of this team effectively. That you're going to have to sell. Obviously, it didn't take him very long to to get that message, and and I think it's a similar thing with with Emi Adoka that um, you know they don't want to take that step of firing. I don't know. Maybe there's some. I don't know, so I, I don't want to, you know, overstep what uh, what I'm saying. But there may be some legal things involved with that as well. Uh, but um, you know, it's 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 it is something that um, you know, if you're Emi Adoka, you do have to wonder. Okay, if I have a year suspension, uh, you know, what's at the other what's at the other end of that? Uh, but I think you also have to wonder too. Is okay at the at the end of at the end of that suspension, can I come back into this job uh, if I resign? Where's my next job? Where am I going after that? You know, because this, this, I mean, this could be a career ender for him, and and I'm sure he doesn't want that either. Obviously, uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's in a pretty untenable situation here. Okay, we've been quite serious for the last, I'd say, three or four minutes. So I just want to throw in a little bit of light-hearted discussion, and then we'll go back because there's still more to talk about on this Udoka situation before we move on. But a lot of people found it really funny. I'd say funny, maybe a little bit. Uh, a little bit brazen might be the best way to say it, that that Woj decided that he was like, yo, I'm cool. I'm breaking this news. I'm going to make a whole graphic. And I'm going to insert me into the graphic smiling as well. I'm very happy that I'm breaking this news. It's, it's delighting me. I want you to see my face in this graphic. Come on. What's going on? I mean, do, do we really need that? I mean, I understand the breaking news graphic. You're going to share it on Instagram. That's a, it's a visual platform. You can repost it over to Twitter but did we really need the, the little Woj silhouette in there too? Like, was that necessary? It's very well, tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I've known Woj a long time, and, you know, this week he's not been uh, uh, real high on my list anyway. So, so <laughs> uh, I might, might have to uh, step out of this one for uh, conflicting uh, – uh, I have a conflicting interest. <laughs> Jack, how do you feel? Because I was like, yo, you should not be smiling in this photo. This is where you need to look remorseful or or sullen. Not happy. Or just don't include a picture of your face in the graphic. Maybe, wow, maybe, that that, too, right? maybe that would have been. No, yeah, it was just, it was funny. And then you see him tweet out another breaking news graphic today that very clearly didn't include his face as if he got the message that maybe that wasn't the best idea. Uh, it was just a bit tone deaf. I mean, like you said, it's lighthearted discussion. It's, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Like the, it's obviously not the focus of the situation, but uh, it was, I don't want to say funny, like you said, but to see his smiling face on a picture, uh, that's trying to represent a very serious situation was just like, come on, like put, put a, a extra few seconds of thought into that graphic, I suppose. Maybe, maybe it was an ESPN intern who made it though. So yeah, I might not even maybe. have that one. <laughs> yeah. I like how you said it was an ESPN intern because they're not an intern no more. They're, <laughs> the, they're, they're in the unemployed market right now looking yeah, yeah. for a new job. Why did you get fired? I added a picture of Woj where I shouldn't have <laughs> added a picture of With a great big grin, right? <laughs> I'm going to start doing that on my post, you know. I'm going to start taking pictures of me, like, <laughs> smile, and then just put it onto the most somber stuff that I put out there. I mean, look, 
it was tone deaf, but it lightened the mood here. We've got everybody talking, everybody smiling again, so we can move on. And we can say some nice things about Ime as well. Like I said, we don't know the full extent of the story, and I'm going to keep reiterating that because I think it's a very key part to any discussion that's had until the Celtics released their own statement. But the dude just came off coaching the team to the NBA Finals. He took Jason Tatum from an all-star to an all-NBA talent. I genuinely believe if Jalen Brown had been healthy all season, he had COVID, you know, he was out with COVID for a little while, then he had the knee issues. If he'd been healthy, he probably would have took Jalen back to being an all-star. He turned Rob Williams into one of the best defensive big men in the league by putting him on that weak so corner. We saw the pros of having Ime Udoka in this team. We, we understood that, hey, him leading the way is the best option we've got of going close to a championship. And now that's not probably not going to be there at least for a year. So how, how do you make sense of this from the Celtics kind of, you know, what are they going to miss about him? What, how, how, who's going to step into those shoes and what type of roles do they need to fill while he's not there? I'll throw it out to anybody. I'll let either of you go. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, Adam, what he brought to the court was the most prominent thing, like the most impressive thing. He finished fourth in coach of the year voting. Uh, his defensive scheme got the most out of Robert Williams while also getting the most out of a 30, I, I guess, six year uh, old Al Horford now 35 during the season. Um, he got the most out of all of his players. Uh, he very clearly controlled the locker room. Obviously, the Celtics got off to a slow start. Then you heard the story about the game after the Suns and that West Coast road trip. He brought them all in, made them watch film, the, the famed film session now. He brought them together. He created a culture of winning uh, and led them on, I, I don't want to say a miracle run to the NBA Finals, but a very impressive uh, run in the second half of the season that culminated in a trip to the NBA Finals. So everything he did on the court <clears throat> was amazing. Fourth in coach of the year voting, he very clearly had the respect of his peers. Uh, I remember listening to Draymond Green talk about him on his podcast, saying he was his coach of the year, that what he'd done uh, with the Celtics was great. But now that you could be without him, you you have to find people that can somewhat replicate what he did because what you saw last year was the best version of the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown Celtics. You had Marcus Smart at point guard. I didn't even mention him brought the best out of that. The best point guard the Celtics have had uh, in Boston to fit with the Jays so far. Um, you need to find a coach who can replicate what Udoka did in terms of bringing the most out of all of the players. And whether that's an assistant, uh, it's not going to be Will Hardy anymore. Uh, somebody on the staff or somebody outside who has a similar mindset. Um, you got to find somebody who can replicate it. I've been trying to do this all the way through these episodes. We all know what I'm about to say right now, but I am available if you need a head coach. I'm perfectly <laughs> acceptable. I'm willing to take that job and take on the duties. Jokes but, aside, but, ha- but what I want to see is Adam Taylor on a podcast criticizing Adam Taylor, the coach, the next, like after the game, just ripping <laughs> yourself for your decisions that you made during the game. That's what oh, I'd 100% do that. I know you would. Uh, I think that would be some of the best content you could possibly generate. <laughs> coach rips coach. <laughs> what are your thoughts on audition? Not on me being the coach. We understand that that's, you know, I'm, I'm the people's choice right now. Uh, <laughs> and Thomas, who's in the, who's our producer in the background, has just uh, pointed out something. Now, I was saving Thomas, but I'll bring it up now just as, a, just as an aside. I would hire James Borrego as my head assistant, uh, but I do think that my offensive outlook will be better. No, I'm joking, obviously. So, <laughs> sure, how are you feeling about all this when it comes to Odoka's coaching ability and what's going to be missing from that locker room now? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's they aren't a staff that's packed with, uh, you know, a lot of experience in terms of uh, head coaches. Men talk about Joe Missoula, obviously. Um, you know, Will Hardy's not there anymore. 
Um, and 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 there isn't like a you know a, a natural a natural guy who you would move over to the to the front uh, to that big chair. Uh, there is one in the front office, and that's Brad Stevens. So you got to wonder, uh, you know, if that's where all this winds up. Does Brad Stevens do a Pat Riley uh, in uh, uh, in 2000, uh, 2000 uh, What was that? Two thousand ten. Uh, and, uh, and 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 come out of the front office and and get himself uh, uh, back and he does not want to do that from what I've been told that is not something that you know Brad is very happy to be able to spend time with his kids and uh, and 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 not have to you know constantly be in the grind of coaching uh, but. If you're looking at where we are in the season, and and you know, with the a week before training camp, and 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 looking for somebody who really knows the team, who knows it better than Brad Stevens, I will say the the one name I'd like if it wasn't James Borrego, and I think this name has been thrown around a lot. If you want to keep that Spurs kind of mentality, keep that Popovich coaching tree going, somebody that's going to come in and have a similar system offensively and defensively to what Udoka likes to run. Similar mentality of the way they command the locker room. Becky Hammond could be a very good choice, having just won. She the just won a championship. Sure. Yeah, yeah, she's going to walk in. And last season, I was probably the most vocal proponent of going to get Kara Lawson. I thought she would have been fantastic in terms of accountability. So there are some very talented female coaches that could potentially be willing to step in. But again, I don't think you get a Cara Lawson to give up her job coaching. Um, where is she now? She's at um, can, she's at UConn, right? I thought it was Duke. I thought she is was it the Duke? Duke's. Is it Duke? I it was Duke, 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 Duke. Right. Okay, well, she's at some ridiculously prestigious college. She's not going to give that up for a one-year interim job. You know, so right. There, right. and I think this is where we are at the moment, right? Like a lot of these good coaches that could be available probably won't want just a one-year interim because you it takes that one year to install a framework for what you want to build off. And that's kind of what hurts the most about Doka was there was an entire framework he had put in place. Whoever comes in next has got to do the same thing for their system. And you know, that's where Missoula kind of fits in stepping up. I know there's some issues there, but before we get to that. I just want to lighten. I just want to lighten it up again because you know All right, let's do I, it. I, I'm a jovial person by nature. Who saw the Ellis Cantor tweet? <laughs> yep. Did anyone see? It? Yeah, I saw the tweet. Okay, so Ennis Cantor, for those of you that don't really reside on Twitter, which is a large portion of you, and I do not blame you at all because the place can be unbearable at times. Ennis Cantor decided that well, I'm going to kick him, Ayodoka, when he's down. This is the perfect time for me to take a shot. Because that guy got me traded, and then I got waived, and now I'm no longer in the league. So, and if I, and I will kind of pull up the thing here because I've got it right in front of me. I did my prep work, everybody. <laughs> no need for revenge. Revenge. Just sit back and wait. Those who hurt you will eventually screw up themselves, and if you're lucky, God will let you watch karma. And that was a quote retweet from a Clutch Points article explaining the Imadoka situation. Take the floor, guys. Yeah, that wasn't very subtle on uh, on Ennis's part. Uh, that's for sure. I think he, we all knew what he meant. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if if there's a guy who's um, trying to get himself back into the league, it's not Ennis Cantor. I think he pretty much knows because that's not something that you do if you're if you're thinking, well, maybe somebody will come calling, and uh, uh, you know, maybe the Celtics will come calling uh, because they need a big no. No, look, this guy's uh, obviously done in the league, and and uh, you know, he's he's now making a second career out of taking pot shots at the NBA. That's 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 what he's done. 
um, and uh, and what he'll continue to do. So this is kind of in keeping with what his uh, uh, his new uh, second career is. Who needs to get off my patch? That's my patch. <laughs> what you got for us, Jack? Sean was way too nice, and his freedom recanter. He's foolish. I mean, it's just like, come on. How how are you going to go on Twitter and say that that's the issue? It was very clear. Why Ennis Freedom apologize if my dogs decide to start barking? Uh, Ennis Freedom did not fit Emi Udoka's defensive system. He got cooked every time he was on the floor. I'm sure you all remember the time he played 43 minutes against Joel Embiid against the Sixers. That was fun. That was a, an a <laughs> experiment. Um, <laughs> the reason he was able to stay in the league for so long, in my opinions, I guess if you want to say, he played for a Trailblazers team that was notoriously terrible <laughs> on defense. Uh, so you, you look at him finding his double-double uh, success there and then not fitting into Boston's defensive system. I mean, Peyton Pritchard didn't earn minutes for the first half of the season because Ime Udoka didn't trust him to play defense. Uh, he eventually earned that trust, and Cantor didn't. And so Cantor got traded, and Pritchard earned his minutes, but now Freedom has decided to take it upon himself to bash the Celtics in the NBA at every turn he gets, and that includes kicking uh, Ime Udoka while he's down, like you mentioned. Uh, I just disagree with taking pot shots at guys at their most vulnerable moment. If you're gonna do it, do it when they're in a, when they're in a position of strength. Show that yeah. you know you stand on your convictions, and you do that by doing it when somebody's on top of the world, not at the very bottom. I just thought that was a uh, cowardly. Uh, that, that, I'm going to leave it there. I just think that that was a very cowardly act. You don't do that when someone's on the bottom. You wait until they're on the top, and then you stand on your conviction. Moving on, because you know this that was a jovial point. Back to the more serious stuff. I mean, we've all mentioned Joe Mazzulla now is probably the most logical guy to step in. But what do we know? Like, what do we know about the guy? Will Hardy to me was the dude that everybody saw as that next head coach, right? He was the guy everyone was like, he's the successor. If MA doesn't work, you've got Will Hardy there ready to step in. He goes to Utah, gets a head coaching job, coaching head coaching job over in Utah. <laughs> We're left with Mazzulla, you know, just some reporting reminding us a. Uh, some things that have gone on in the past. What do? How do we feel about him? As I know he's loved by the team, but a 2021 NBA Summer League run to a Summer League Finals does not mean you're ready to coach in the NBA. So where are we standing on this? Yeah, I know. I know how you feel about Summer League, Adam. So uh, uh, you're going to discredit uh, the the brilliant coaching job that he did uh, with the <laughs> team. I know. I know. But uh, but yeah, no, I, we, we don't know much about him as a coach. You know, um, obviously, uh, he is well versed in the system. He's well versed in what uh, Ime Odoka did. He comes from a basketball family um, uh, with his father, Dan, as well. Uh, so he, he, he's got a pretty strong background. Uh, he has a history of trouble uh, going back to his days at West Virginia. Um, uh, you know, there were, I think, three arrests. One of them was uh, um, for uh, grabbing somebody in a bar. It was a domestic uh, abuse case that was, uh, uh, that was uh, in a bar in West Virginia. Um, and, and there was some other, you know, public urination, just some embarrassing stuff. Now he was a kid then, you know, I mean, he was, you know, in his, you know, 19, 20 years old, uh, was 13 years ago. Uh, so, you know, you kind of can say, all right, well, they, they should move on. Uh, but given 
the optics of all this, you know, just given, uh, you know, where we are and, and, and how the Celtics are trying to move forward, uh, you know, this stuff is going to come up, you know, this stuff from his past is going to come up, uh, even though it was stuff from, uh, from, uh, from a long time ago. But um, yeah, this is, this is going to be something that, uh, you know, before they give the job to Joe Missoula that they're going to consider as well, you know, can we do that? Um, You know, are we going from one problem to another problem? Um, that's that's going to be something that, uh, that 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 they're going to have to look at. First of all, I'm a big fan of summer league basketball. I just think that there's a huge difference between summer league basketball and NBA basketball. It's like saying I'm a big fan of Division Two basketball and <laughs> Division One basketball. There's a big difference. Well, a no, bit, yeah. I, I agree. There's a lot to there's a lot to process, a lot to think about. Jack, where do you stand on Missoula? Yeah, I think what Sean said was uh, hit the nail on the head. Like he, he's the next guy in line because he can continue what Ime Udoka did last year, which was very clearly super successful. Obviously, a run to the NBA Finals. But you look at what he's done in the past. I'm a big, you know, people can change and also people make mistakes. But like Sean said, with what just happened with Ime Udoka literally 24 hours ago, uh, to talk about having a guy who also has a past uh, of issues is just bad look for the Celtics. So. Uh, again, like Sean said, they'll probably take it into consideration. And if it does get to the point where Emi Adoka resigns, I'll keep. I'll, I'll back you up, Adam. Bring on Becky Hammond. See if she'll pick up. Hey, the phone bring on, bring on Adam. <laughs> Becky yeah, yeah. It should be option number two if I say no. Because, <laughs> like, take me first, Becky. Too. Now I agree. I think Becky Hammond needs to be the number one option. Jokes aside, uh, I think Kara Lawson could be a good option. Uh, my guy, James Borrego, I think he should be an assistant coaching option because of what he can bring on the offense. Kind of like a younger, little bit less quality version of D'Antoni, but I think his methods are quite innovative in terms of the modern game. I know D'Antoni kind of orchestrated the modern game. I, I'm very aware his fingerprints are all over the way basketball's played these days, but I'm also very aware that his age and stuff, you know, maybe Borrego could be the safer choice there. Um, I saw Mannix put out that Vogel was another option as a potential assistant. Obviously, just also- just another guy I'd throw out at him that I've just kind of heard in the in the ether here is uh, is Brett Brown. Uh, you know, another yeah. Spurs guy. Um, obviously, uh, with a lot of Boston connections and uh, well liked uh, in the Boston media, I think that would be something that would be positive uh, for the team as well. So he's another name to consider there too. Now, the question is. And I'll ask this, not about the team, well, about the team, and then we can, you know, the coaches are just going to have to figure it out. But with everything that's going on, we're going to operate for a moment that Udoka is gone, at least for this year. And then, you know, it could be Brett Brown, could be Hammond, could be whoever is taking the hot seat. Are they still championship contenders? Do you still rank them as the team to beat in the East? Like, what happens here? It's a whole new system again. We saw the teething issues last year. Where, where are they going to sit now? How does this affect their ability to win a championship this year? Jack, I'm throwing it to you first, bro. Yeah, so, I mean, before all this, I had in my, you know, metaphorical or hypothetical Eastern Conference tier list, I kind of had Boston, Milwaukee up here, and then I had Philadelphia, uh, Miami, Brooklyn, if they can be a normal team uh and i'm losing track of teams but uh there was another (laughs) one i had there as well but the point is i had milwaukee and boston up here uh it's hard for me to say because of 
this one thing, Boston's going to drop an entire tier, but I do think it definitely gives an advantage to teams like Milwaukee and Philadelphia who have had pretty good off seasons and more importantly, relatively unproblematic off seasons. Uh, you look at Philly adding PJ Tucker, Montrose Harrell, you look at Milwaukee getting Joe Ingles and re-signing Bobby Portis, even teams like, you know, Atlanta stocking up, um, Chicago signing a couple backups uh, t- teams have had good off seasons in the East and the Cavaliers or the team. I forgot trading for Donovan Mitchell, obviously uh, there's going to be a lot of competition in the East. And so it's not necessarily, <clears throat> does this make them a worse basketball team, but does it cause a distraction that could give other teams a chance to over, uh, overtake them absolutely so it's it's just unfortunate timing and i think it could affect them uh, if it drags on into the regular season but the celtics have the players uh and at base level players win you championships and as important as coaching is they know what they need to do now to win uh so i think they still have the ability to win a championship but if it drags on to the season it could definitely affect team morale and chemistry and that sort of stuff yeah i i mean i uh, obviously yeah you know that's you, we don't know how this is going to all affect everything right uh, you could easily, like I said before, you could imagine a situation where the players haven't gone to the finals, haven't kind of proven themselves, uh, having been a very fragile team last year uh, and in the beginning part of this year, uh, and then really learned to toughen up as the year went on. Uh, you know, you can imagine them kind of taking that and having a bunker mentality and 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 really pulling pu- pulling themselves together. Um, I think that's a small percentage chance, though. I still think that, uh, you know, a lot of their personality came from M.A. Uh, last year. A lot of the, that, that toughness came from M.A. Uh, and, and, and the way he called them out when they needed to be called out, things like that. Um, and, and, and so I think that that's going to be something that they will definitely, definitely miss. I think the way it's going to play out is you'll probably see whether it's Missoula or somebody who's sort of going to be the, the guy to start the year. If that if if we get to December or so uh, and it's clear that that things aren't working out, then I can imagine them making a change. Again, maybe it's Brad Stevens, maybe it's Brett Brown or or, or Becky Hammond, whatever. Then I can imagine them making a change. Uh, you know, sometime like in December or so, if it's clear that you know there are a few games under 500 and something's missing, um, uh, and and then maybe that is what kicks them into gear uh, after that. I do think that they're going to start the season, uh, you know, relatively modest in terms of the head coach but with an eye on maybe making a change uh, early in the year uh, and if they decide that's what they need. So, um, you know, a lot of ways that this can go, but, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I still think there is at least a chance uh, that these players are going to pull together and, uh, you know, really have that bunker mentality. I want to be quite honest with you. I don't like the idea of them taking a modest approach now to change in the, in, because the one thing this team needs now is a vital dose of stability. So they need to make a decision and be very comfortable with the fact that that's the decision they've made. That goes for both coaching and it goes for the big man rotation because the big man rotation is an area of need. It's an area that's problem. I know they signed Luka Samanic, Samanic, Samankic. Whoever he was, I'm a big fan. I watched a lot of his film last night. If you follow me on social media, you would have saw I put a thread out about his offense. So, you know, I'm a big fan. And this leads us on to... A segment that I've been personally a huge proponent for. And this is where Sean gives us some insider knowledge and the recipe. And we're going to call it Devin's Dishes. <laughs> We've been joking about it. I'm going to bring it in. Sean, I want to know what you feel about Robert Williams' injury, what the surgery means. And then I want to know what your recipe of the day is. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put the recipe of the day on 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 hold, Adam. But uh, uh, we can talk about that after. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, news came out yesterday. 
Um, I was told yesterday morning uh, that Robert Williams was likely to need uh, knee surgery. Uh, again, uh, they weren't 100% sure they were going to run it through uh, the team and run it past some more doctors. Uh, and, of course, in the afternoon, uh, that's when it was confirmed that, yes, indeed, uh, Robert Williams was going to need uh, another uh, another knee surgery. And this comes six months after, of course, six months after uh, what we saw uh, in, uh, in March where he had the meniscus uh, repaired, uh, tried to come back really quickly, four weeks, uh, even less than that. It was 24 days after surgery that he was playing game three of the playoffs. Now, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people is, well, he shouldn't have come back so fast. That's why he's hurt again. Actually, it has nothing to do with it. They, they, they ran those, those MRIs by three different doctors outside of the Celtics uh, uh, orbit. These were three different doctors uh, that, that Robert Williams people put in front of, uh, put, put these MRIs in front of and said, you know, if, if he plays – uh, you know, will he, will he get, will it, will it make things worse? Uh, so, and, and, and the answer was no. And, and so the fact that he needs surgery now is just more of a fact of, of how the thing is healed. It has nothing to do with the fact that he played. If you look at Lonzo Ball, for instance, he's going to need another knee surgery, another cleanup, as they say. Uh, and he didn't play at all. You know, he didn't play since uh, I think it was January. So, um, you know, you know, that, it's just sometimes the knee heals that way. Sometimes there's loose bodies and you just have to go in and clean it out. doesn't matter if he had played or not. So, so that was one thing. And the other thing is that, that I hear a lot of is, well, why did he wait till the week before uh, training camp to, to do this? And the reason was because nothing was wrong with his knee. There was nothing wrong with his knee until, until just the last couple of weeks. That's when he started to feel some pain. Uh, they thought maybe, you know, a little rest and it'll go away. Uh, and that didn't happen. And, and, and once they went in and they really looked and they said, all right, uh, the only way to, to make sure this is going to be okay is to go in, uh, pull out these loose bodies and, and, and go from there. So, uh, you know, those are two things that have really come up about Robert Williams injuries uh, that I think really need to be clarified. With the, in terms of the Lanzo ball stuff, I'm going to go to a uh, meatloaf statement and say you took the words right out of my mouth because I'm very big on the fact that meniscus injuries are incredibly difficult to predict. If you look at Lanzo, his original timeline was like a six-week return when he hurt his meniscus, and now we're bordering on like, what, nine, ten months? There's never a guarantee that the recovery time is going to be what it's projected to be, and that goes again once you have this arthropic surgery. You can't guarantee that this November timeline is stuck to because you can have more issues when they're ramping back up and there can always be knock-on worries. Meniscuses seem to be very difficult to kind of pinpoint that recovery time. It's down to an individual. Uh, I think that you can't blame the Celtics for putting Rob on the floor because they would have done their due diligence. You're not risking the long-term career of one of your most impactful guys for a playoff run because you can always run it back the next year, right? So I, I'm with you there. I completely believe that that's everything that you've said is completely fair. I want to throw this over to Jack now, and I want to see where – and the, we, we will get a recipe from you, Sean. It will go in the write-up on the description of the podcast. Excellent. But I want, to, I want to throw it to Jack now. I want to see who do you think this opens a spot up for, Jack? Are we going to see Lehman get a roster spot? Samantzic get a roster spot? P.S. that's the correct answer. Are we going to see Cornet, or are they going to go to the veterans where it's going to be like Dwight Howard or Demarcus Cousins or Aldridge? Who do you see kind of stepping up and filling the majority of that Rob Williams role? 
Yeah, well, I think Luke Cornett will obviously get the first crack at it. And I know some people on Twitter weren't very happy at Luke Cornett. And uh, when Rob went down and that was the clear option, everyone kind of started saying, oh, Cornett's bad and stuff like that. And I wrote about it. And I know you wrote, wrote about Cornett earlier this summer. And it's not the end of the world, especially considering like the four to six week timeline has him missing two weeks of the regular season at most, obviously knock on wood for um, <clears throat> a healthy recovery. But as far as training camp guys that I personally think the Celtics should bring in, I think Samanich is a great option. I know you did your deep offensive dive. Personally, I might lean more towards uh, Noah Vonley just because he gives you that rebounding. Obviously the Celtics struggled <laughs> to rebound the basketball in the finals and they did all season long at times. So having an extra rebounder and a guy who hustles on defense, he's not like a top notch defender, but he always puts his, uh, uh, best effort in on that end, quick on the perimeter. He's a, he's a solid overall defender, um, <clears throat> would be a good option. He's obviously not great on offense, but if you need a guy that can come in, get you some boards and do all the dirty work, I think Vonley's a good option there. And as far as the other roster spot, because I know they technically have two, although they could leave one open to keep some flexibility, I think uh, they need a wing. So probably a layman, Justin Jackson, one of those guys, just because as much as they do need big man depth right now, they don't really have any wings either, especially if you consider the fact that Grant Williams will probably have to play some center minutes now with Rob out. And he was your wing depth outside of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Your next wing is Malcolm Brogdon, who's six, five and can play the wing and Derek white can play the wing, but they're both guards. So I think bringing in, bringing in, excuse me, an extra wing in addition to a Von layer Samanich is probably what we see out of camp in my opinion. Could be worse. It could be the Lakers and playing, planning to play Patrick Beverly on the wing at six one. <laughs> I mean, true. You know, I'm not going to let that one die anytime soon. Personally, I like Adam. I am curious about about Shamanich and 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 what you saw and 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 do you think he's? I mean, the, the big criticism. I mean, he was he was the number nineteen pick two years ago. I mean, he, he's obviously a guy who's got talent. There was a big question mark about him in terms of his motor, in terms of his his motivation, whether he was really driven to be an NBA player. But 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 what did you see that makes you think that okay, this guy's got the talent if he can get that motor? Yeah. So when I went back and I watched every possession from all of his G League games on offense, I haven't done my defensive deep dive, so I'm only I only know you're insane. You're insane, Adam. What? That's, that's amazing. Just I, I you, you go. I watched film on Samich. I watched every single offensive G League possession. I mean, props. That wasn't a, a, a insult. That was a compliment. Just wow, that's impressive. You can't have a fair opinion on somebody if you don't watch enough film to have a fair opinion. I only know fifty percent of the the story right now, and I am insane because I'm an X's and O's guy, and I look. And any time I get to dive into film and do scouting, I'll take. Um, so I went through. I think he's got a great range of speed for a big man. He can definitely go through the gears. He can pick up pace really quickly, cover the floor fast. He does struggle scoring at speed. Like it, it's it's terrible. It can't, he he kind of overpowers the ball off the backboard. He doesn't really have much success that way. But as a as a big man, like a pick and pop big man, he's got good shooting mechanics. Uh, nice flow to his game. Picks his spots really well. He'll either fade off or he'll kind of L cut where you cut in and then cut out. So it makes the shape of an L. Um, he's shooting, like I say, shooting mechanics are fine. As a pick and roll guy, this is where the issue is for me. I think the biggest knock on him offensively is he really struggles to finish or even embrace contacts. He'll shy away from it. He'll slow down his drive. He'll try and get like a spin move that doesn't really work. And just any time he, he embraced contact, his shot just didn't work. He got blocked a bunch because he loses his verticality because he slows right down, goes flat-footed, panics a little bit. And that's going to be a huge issue in the NBA where defenses are very physical when guys are rotating over. His post-game kind of suffered from that too, right? Like, So he's got that spin move, a nice little kind of drop-step spin. 
But again, the minute he feels that body contact, he kind of goes into a shell of himself. And that's the biggest knock on him for me, which again comes down to that motor and motivation to be a professional, willing to put your body on the line and to grow your body to be able to absorb that contact. But as an outside shooter, somebody that can run the floor at pace, have good control of their speeds, set solid screens, rebound because of their good size. I mean, he's 6'10". You could see him playing at the five. You could see him playing at the four. Floor space in big man modern. He's got the skills necessary to be successful. He's just got to be willing to embrace contact, work on his strength and his body so he can fight through that contact and still be a viable finisher. And then just learn how to finish at pace or don't go for pace. But I will say this, he's confident, man, because he'll catch a body. He'll dunk on you. If you're rotating over and he feels like he can get the dunk before the contact, he will jam on you. If you're in front of the rim, he's not going to attempt anything. And that's going to be a problem against NBA-level defenses that will have a big man drop off that screen and sit in the paint waiting for you to come in towards the rim. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm in. I, I like it. I, like, I could see them maybe moving Kevin Gailey over to a, a standard contract and and, and making Sean Minich uh, their the two-way. The two-way. And I think that fits well because he the biggest knock on him is the lack of ability to play through contact. And I, I think he's not ready for the NBA yet. Um, but I think he's definitely got all the skills necessary to be a valuable rotational stretch for in this league if he can just embrace the professionalism needed to develop your body in a way that will make you that type of valuable player. With that, we've said everything we need to say. With, I mean, I, I've got nothing else I want to say. Jack, have you got anything else you want to say? I don't think so. I think you covered it all. I'm almost afraid to stop because then we'll all have to check Twitter and who knows what's going to come up next. <laughs> this is the problem, right? <laughs> I, I'm, let's just carry on. We'll just think of something else. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> Guys, if you've enjoyed what Jack's had to say, make sure you go check out the heavy heavy.com's Simone NBA show where Jack talks NBA and it's called the Simone NBA show because his surname is Simone. If you've enjoyed what myself and Sean have had to say, come back to the Celtics collective again next week or late yeah, next week. Maddie should be back. I know she's having some issues at the moment um, and we'll be back as a normal group. If not, then I'll probably run host again. We've gone to the cutout scene. So this is where I say goodbye. Farewell. Thank you.